seems appropriate to reflect today on part of our, our reading that uh, Phil gave this morning from the first letter of St. John about love. Because today is Father's Day, a day when dads wake up to hear the praises being sung from their children, Dad, I love you, and to get all the cards and trinkets that come along with it. So with that in mind, let us reflect today on love. How many people have seen the movie Blade Runner 2049? Okay, I didn't think many people would. Colin at the 8.30 service did, and if you know Colin, you know that's right up his alley. How many people have seen the original Blade Runner from the 70s with hair? Okay, so you kind of get the world. It's this post-apocalyptic science fiction wasteland, so to speak. And unlike most science fiction movies, there's not a lot of action. It's actually a very somber, philosophical movie. And both the movies, the original and the, the, the sequel, ask the question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? In the more recent Blade Runner, the Blade Runner 2049, the protagonist has a girlfriend. She's perfect. Perfect in every way. She will do anything for him. She will say everything perfectly. She's there to cater to his every need and whim. Emotional, physical, sexual, she is there to perform. She happens to be a computer program. But visually, when you're watching the movie, you think, my goodness, there is a connection here between this character and this computer program because she, to all intents and purposes, she seems to be very human, very alive. But she's nothing more than a computer program that has been perfectly calibrated to Kay, the protagonist, the way she looks, the clothes she wears, how she responds to his every emotional, physical, sexual need. Everything is programmed to respond to exactly what he needs in that moment. So is this love? Well, I think most of us would say, of course not. But again, visually in the film, it's portrayed as you are left thinking, my goodness, this computer program really does love him. And that's the whole point of the movie, or part of it, is to ask that question. Is it really love? Can love be made perfect in such a way that it can perfectly correspond to the needs of the person, of the beloved? Because Kay and Joy, his artificial intelligence girlfriend, they never fight. They always get along. In perfect harmony, she's there and responds to everything in just a perfect way. But is it love? Can love make demands and insist on its own way? That in order for it to be love, it must be loved in the way that I must be loved in the way that I demand to be loved. That love has to fit my needs as a consumer, as a person that I can make those demands, and if those demands are not left, or if those demands are not met, then I can say it's not really love. 
And again, this is what the Blade Runner films are asking. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to love and be loved? As I was walking to the parish office this week, this question about love came starkly to the forefront in my mind as I passed by Sacred Heart Church on the left side as I was walking toward the church. And if you know Sacred Heart Church, you know there is a statue above the, uh, the entranceway. How many people have seen it, right? It's a small statue. It's Jesus a hooded, with a hood on, and he's holding his sacred heart, right? That heart right there that we have in the stained glass with the uh, anchor and the cross, right? The flaming heart on fire with his love for all people, offering it to those who would receive it. My kids insist it's a statue of a gargoyle. I can't convince them otherwise, but I assure you it is the statue of Jesus offering his heart. And directly across, like, like if you were to draw a line from that statue directly across the road, there was a lawn sign. And my focus here today is on the words on the sign, not what it represents and not what, is, what it's all about, but just the three words that were on that sign. Love is love. And here, we see this perennial decision that has been facing humankind since our very beginning. The choice between, on the one hand, the God who is love, and on the other hand, love is love as we define love, as I define love, as I demand love, my love be. We see this all the way back in the story of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Where the God who is love out of himself creates everything and gives humanity everything they need and just says, trust me, I am the God who loves you, I will give you what you need. And Adam and Eve say, no, I think we can figure this out for ourselves. And so they go their own way, listening to the deception. Did God really say is God really loved? Does God really have your best interest at heart? All it takes is that little seed of doubt to say, oh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe I need to define it for myself. And see, that's the problem with humanity. When we try to define these things for ourselves, we always end up destroying ourselves, our other, others, our, the creation that we're a part of. And so as I was walking to work, this stark relief between three words that define so much. On the one hand, those three words read in our first lesson, God is love. And on my other, the other side, love is love. Let's unpack love is love. What does that even mean? Again, I'm just focusing on the actual statement, not everything that goes with it. Love is love. Well, in logical, in philosophy, you call that a tautology. A tautology is circular reasoning, right? Red is red. Well, of course it is. Red is blue? No, that's an error in judgment. No, red is red, blue is blue. But it's kind of circular. A cat is a cat, a dog is a dog. It doesn't really tell us anything, does it? It sounds nice. It sounds meaningful. It sounds profound, but it doesn't offer us any definition. And really what it is is a statement, love is love, period. You can't argue with that sentiment. You're not allowed to. You can't define it because it's up to you individually to define what love is. But as I said, when we are left to define love for ourselves, we will always make a mess of it. 
Think about the struggle that people that struggle with addictions go through. They love alcohol, but they also hate it. But they want it. That's what they need. That's what their body tells them they have to have. That's a disordered love. That's a love that has turned in on itself and is destroying the person. Think of codependent relationships where abuse, well, I love him, I love her. Even though they physically or psychologically abuse me and torment me and wreck who I am in the center of my being. I remember I was a bouncer. We had to remove a guy who was physically assaulting his girlfriend and we brought him out and he was not doing too well mentally. And wouldn't you know it, his girlfriend came out and guess who the bad guys were? We were. Because she was yelling at us, I love him, I love him, I love him. He had just beaten the crap out of her. But she insisted that she loved him. Is that love? Well, love is love tells us of course it is. Because she gets to define what love is. But that definition was destroying who she was. You can see these examples everywhere, and I don't need to belabor the point to say that when we are left to our own devices to define what love is or what hate is, what good is, what true is, what beautiful is, we will not get it right. As much as we like to think we've got it right. And this is where the good news of John's definition of love is so profound and important. Because it doesn't leave us to our own devices to define what love is. It says God is love. Not love is God. That's another problem we tend to make. We enshrine love as if it were the ultimate thing. But God is love. It is the substance, you could say, of everything about God can be summarized as love. We just celebrated Trinity Sunday last week and we talked about God as being that community of love, the Father that loves the Son, that loves the Spirit, that loves the Son, that loves the Father, right? It's just this community of love. And out of this community of love, God creates everything that is and invites us to be part of his love. But in order for us to be brought up in the love that is God, the God who is love, we have to allow God to define for us what love is. And what is love? It is Jesus offering himself without remainder and saying, here, take my heart, take myself, take my love. It's yours. That is what love is. It's not a demanding, it's a giving. Part of the problem in our culture when we elevate love is God, we tend to think of love as just a feeling, as a sentiment. But if love were based on mere sentiment or feeling, none of us who are married here would be married. Right? Hi. Right? <laughs> we, we wouldn't. I don't always like Natalie. Natalie does not always like me. If it was based on that love, you know, that love, those flaming. I was in love in grade two with a girl named Rachel. Oh my goodness, I was in love with her because she made my heart pitter patter. She was so cute and I liked her. Grade two, I was in love already. No, because love has to be deeper than just mere sentiment. 
The love that God shows us in Jesus Christ is a love unto death. A love of absolute fidelity and commitment. A love that says, I will not give up on the beloved even though they turn their back on me, reject me, hate me, say all sorts of things about me. I will never give up. That is love. And so that love, that self-giving love that Christ gives to us, that we can take on his love and his life, he asks us to give to others as well. And in the parable of the rich man, that's what the rich man doesn't get. He doesn't get what true love is. He's so focused on himself and his wealth and living comfortably and feasting and doing everything to make his life as comfortable as possible, he neglects the man sitting out on his gate who is desperate for food that he would just eat the crumbs falling off the table. He's in such poor physical shape that the dogs come and lick him. He is an absolute wretch. But because this man is so focused on the self-love he has, the life is good. He cannot even see. And even after, even after he has died, did you catch it in the parable? He doesn't even address Lazarus, the poor man, directly. He goes to Abraham and says to Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool me down. He still sees Lazarus as an object of scorn, someone that he can push around and who can do his bidding. Abraham says, no. Well, tell Lazarus he needs to go tell my brothers about what will await them if they don't get their act together. And Abraham is like, no, don't you get it? Lazarus is not someone for you to push around and to tell, even after death. And that's the point Jesus is making in this parable. That you can just tell him what he should do because he's somehow lower than you. Because out of his selfishness, out of his self-love, the rich man could not see Lazarus as someone equally deserving of love, the love of God. Because the rich man defines love as everything that's good for himself, he could not give, he could only receive. But the God who is love, all he does is give and give and give. And so the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus offers us his heart and we offer our life in return, we actually get it back. But more than just the life we've offered, we get our lives back restored, renewed, forgiven by the love of God in and among us. It's what we're doing here at church, to hear in words of scripture, God's love given for us, and then to actually physically, spiritually receive it in our life through the Holy Eucharist, that we could be renewed. This is why the Eucharist is called the sacrament of love, because it's about the giving of Christ to all who would receive him, so that in receiving him, we receive not only him, but ourselves back. God is love. And we are created in the, God who, in the image of the God who is love. So what does it mean to be human? To be human is to be a lover. 
but it is to be a lover in the way that God defines and God embodies and God displays and exhibits in his very self. That is how we love. It's not that we love ourselves, it's that God first loved us. Love is not about demanding conformity to what I think love is. Love is about my conformity to the image and likeness of God who is Jesus Christ. So if we want to be better lovers, we had better prioritize becoming and loving the way that Jesus loved. In conclusion, I'm going to read that great hymn to love from 1 Corinthians 13. We've heard it all before. We've heard it at weddings and other ceremonies. But I want us to think about it here with this question of answering how we are going to answer that tension between God is love and love is love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envy or boast. Love is not prideful. It is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect one comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. We will mess up our love as humans. We will mess up our love for others. We will mess up our love for God. But that perfect love that is God will transform us into the image and likeness of his Son. So that even though we will get it wrong through the mercy and grace of God, we will one day see the God who is love face to face. So let us renew ourselves in that love, in the God who is love. Let us be renewed by our minds and our hearts of hearing these words of how God himself defines what it means to love in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.